Testing, testing. This is our new mic. What up, boys and ghouls? Welcome back to season two of your favorite podcast, r slash no sleep, where I read creepy, scary, and downright messed up stories. Today's episode is made up of one short story about a guy's girlfriend whose cleaning starts to get out of hand, followed by a late night drive through Texas. And finally, our last story will be about a kidnapping with a heartwarming ending. Without further ado, if you're ready, sit back, relax, and get ready for your skin to crawl. This story is called, My Girlfriend Started the Conmarie Method of Tidying Up. She's starting to freak me out. My girlfriend started the Marie method of tidying up a few weeks ago. At first, I thought it was a good thing. She'd been notoriously messy throughout most of our relationship, and I was constantly having to pick up after her. Once she started Marie, she started donating all her useless crap and generally keeping things tidy. Things went south when she got obsessive about it. I found her sitting in the middle of the kitchen at 1am a few nights ago. All our pots and pans, cookie scoops, and George Foreman grills were arrayed around her like she was having a seance for Julia Child. What are you doing? We don't need these things, she said, distantly not making eye contact with me. Actually, we do. I use that pot all the time to cook that fancy macaroni and cheese. She turned to me slowly, her eyes locking on mine. They do not spark joy. I was going to argue with her that this had gone too far, but it was 1am and I needed to get up early for work tomorrow. Okay, whatever, do what you want with your stuff, but not mine. I woke up to an empty kitchen. Overnight, she'd gotten rid of over 90% of the kitchen's contents. The only thing that remained were four dishes. One set of silverware, and the one pot I told her to keep. How do you expect us to eat? I asked furiously. You only kept one set of silverware. One! How are we going to eat at the same time? There are two forks, she said in a calm monotone. But one's a shitty salad fork. I'm not eating with that. Then I will. She closed her eyes and leaned her head back in the recliner. We didn't need it, Robert. You're not the judge of my stuff. I did need that stuff. All of it. You'll find you're happier without it. I glanced at the clock. 7.25, damn it. I was going to be late for work. I have to get to work, but we're going to talk about this tonight. She nodded, but we didn't talk about it. She worked late on a project she was behind on, probably because of all the tidying, and we ended up going to sleep without talking. It was 2 a.m. when I woke up with a start. At first, I wasn't sure what had woken me, but then a scratching sound came from behind me, like something dragging along the sheets. I was about to turn around, but then I heard a whisper. Does it spark joy? A light touch on my back. I froze wanting to turn around, but something like fear kept me locked in place. Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? A frenzied fast whisper. A finger stroked through my hair, then caressed my cheek, 
but it wasn't a loving caress. A caress I'd felt during kisses or cuddles or lovemaking, it was an analytical touch. Robotic. Cold. Like a machine. What the hell is she doing? As I laid there, I tried to convince myself that she was playing a prank on me. But she doesn't know I'm awake. It's 2am, and she's never played even the tiniest prank on me before. Her hands prodded against my back. Icy cold. Fear shot through me, but I stayed perfectly still. Don't let her know you're awake. That was the only thing I could think. Stay still. Don't move a muscle. The mattress shifted and I felt something tickle my face. No. It was her hair. Hanging above me. Knees on either side of my torso leaning right over my face. Her long, straight, blonde hair draped over my cheeks. I didn't dare open my eyes. But I could imagine her face hovering above mine. Dark eyes boring into my soul. Does it spark joy? She whispered, her breath warm on my neck. I felt her nose brush against my cheek, a finger stroke my ear. No. The bed creaked and shifted. My eyes flashed open for a second and I saw her rolling off of me. She pulled the covers over herself, snuggled against her pillow and went back to sleep. I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. When she left for work, I called in sick and stayed home. Now I'm packing up my things, what little is left of them, and making plans to live with a buddy for a while. I do not spark joy. I can't stay here. This story is called, If You Drive to Texas, Don't Do It at Night. A week or so ago, I was driving down to Texas. It was a long drive, one that would take two days unless I drove nonstop throughout the night. However, I was eager to reach my destination, and I chose to tough it out for the sake of getting there sooner. My drive started out relatively normal. I drove for a couple hours south, and I felt good. I had my music cranked, and I had a cooler full of energy drinks in the passenger seat. When I saw the sign saying, Now entering Tennessee! I thought I was making record time. I must have forgotten to watch the clock, though, because the sun began to set. I was partially confused, mainly due to the fact that I had left earlier in the day, but I disregarded it as the idle distractions I'd caused myself to pass the time faster being the cause. Something else odd I noticed was the open freeway. Normally, I would expect to see many vehicles all traveling to different places, but... Instead, I seemed to be the only one out and about. Still, I wasn't feeling tired, and I had already committed to driving straight through the night, even if things seemed strange. But as I drove on, I realized the sun had set far too quickly, and with the lack of vehicles on the road, it looked like I was driving in a void. The blackened world around me was only illuminated by my high beams. I could see only perhaps 15 feet ahead of me, There were a few normalities, like guardrails and mile markers, but if something were to appear in front of me, I'd likely hit it because of my lack of visibility. So I pulled over. My vehicle came to a subtle halt on the side of the freeway, and I turned on my emergency lights. 
realistically, I knew it wasn't a fog. It was just dark. Darker than the world behind my eyelids. I suppose I wanted to see another car pass by before I concluded that something had gone wrong. But none came. I waited for more than 20 minutes and not one car or truck barreled down the freeway. I decided to roll my window down and allow some fresh air into my car. Plus, I was slightly panicking because I did have somewhere to be and this was taking up my precious time. Suddenly, the engine shut off. Even the accessory of power had gone cold. I performed some persuasive maintenance by smacking my hand against the dashboard as if that would magically fix everything, but it obviously didn't. Then I heard a quiet ticking sound. You know, the sound your fingers make when you tap them against a table? It was like that, but instead of the soft, fleshy contact you get from the skin of your digits, it was more like the clicking of nails against plastic. My intuition had told me it was coming from under the hood, and therefore I'd have to step outside. I was just about to open the door. I almost had a heart attack because hanging over the trim of the window seal was a hand. I freaked out and flung myself into the passenger seat on top of my cooler. The hand was tapping its pale white fingers against the inner part of my door. And after my initial fear died down, I thought that it may have been someone looking to help me. Foolish, I know. But I did have my four ways on. Part of me knew full well that another vehicle hadn't pulled up behind mine while I was distracted by the engine malfunction. But I still inquired. Hello? Who's there? The fingers stopped moving and the hand slipped down slowly over the side of the door, out of sight. I waited while trying to catch my breath before asking again. Hey, who's there? Why are you messing with me? No sound. Not even crickets responded to me. I turned my head to peer out of the rear window and I couldn't see anything which made me wonder more as to who was outside of my car. My ear was pressed against the passenger window and just as I was about to slide back into the driver's seat, I heard the tapping sound a second time, right next to my ear. I nearly got whiplash from the speed at which I turned my head to look out of the window. There wasn't anything there, in terms of a tapping hand. However, there were fingerprints left in the condensation on the outside of the glass. My heart raced and I crawled back into the driver's seat and tried stupidly to roll up the window, even though I quickly realized that it was futile. Then, I started to hear footsteps in the gravel on the side of the asphalt, but when I looked in my mirrors, I saw nothing. That was until my headlights came on without warning. They flashed brightly ahead of me and illuminated a figure of a human standing directly in the light, but I couldn't see who it was because they were missing their head. The headless torso held out its thumb as if it were hitchhiking. However, it only did it for a moment before beginning to approach my vehicle. I tried to start the engine, but for some reason my key wouldn't crank, and then I thought, if the headlights are on, then surely I should be at least able to roll the window up. It moved slowly, the body that is, towards me with a shambling, unstable gait. Unfortunately for me, my window would not go up. 
Unfortunately for me, my window wouldn't go up, even when fiddling with the key in the ignition. I started to panic, and sweat began forming on the palms of my hands. By the time it was at the front corner of the driver's side, I decided I would get out and confront it. As I reached for the door handle and pulled, I found that it wouldn't open. I have one of those stupid locks that sinks into the door, so I wasn't able to grip it and force it up. The electronic unlock didn't work either, so my only option was to climb out of the window. The problem was, it had already reached my side mirror. There was no way I would be able to crawl through the window without that thing grabbing me. So once again, I slid into the passenger seat with my feet poised to kick it if it tried to worm its unnatural way inside. From there, I could see it was a masculine body that was exceedingly tall and wore a gray sweatshirt laden with holes. It had scuffed pants with tread marks denoting a tire had crossed over them at ludicrous speed. If I had to guess, I'd say they had been run over. As it tried to reach its arm inside, I kicked it away. It didn't appear to have much more than primal instinct, because it stumbled back and took some time to regain itself. Still, regardless of the fact that it was a brainless, walking corpse, I was still terrified. When it reached inside the second time, I scooted myself towards the driver's seat and forcibly jammed my foot against its chest, sending it falling to the ground. I used the opportunity to get out of the car via the open window and run around to the trunk. I couldn't open it without the key, which I stupidly left inside, but at least I could get away. But as it rose to its feet, I felt an immense pressure in my head, as if someone were squeezing my brain. My vision became blurry and different parts of my body burned with a fiery intensity. Every time I tried to move one of my limbs, I couldn't, and the paralysis weaving its way throughout my body made me an easy target. The headless torso continued shuffling its disjointed feet in my direction with an outstretched hand. But the other hand was held low with its thumb out. Suddenly, my faculties snapped back into my control and I was able to avoid its mindless descent by stepping to the other side of my vehicle. I don't know what made me think the car would start if I tried again, but despite my former failures, I awkwardly jumped inside and turned my key. My eyes widened with joy when the engine turned over followed by the familiar rumbling of the vehicle running. I threw the shifter into drive and slammed my foot on the gas without hesitation and sped off into the dark. I thought I was in the clear and my breathing slowly returned to normal. It was odd that some part of me thought that maybe it was just a ghost that was asking for help. But that was highly improbable. And I know that wasn't the case. The freeway was still obscured by all the encompassing darkness, but I didn't care. I just kept driving. Then my heart skipped a beat because standing on the side of the road was the headless person. I drove by, but I couldn't see them in my rearview mirror due to the darkness. I took a breath and drove on without trying to think about it too much while taking a look at my clock to see what time it was. It read, 00.00. Great, I said out loud, still maintaining a relatively high speed. My hands were firmly gripping the steering wheel and I kept thinking it was over, but I was wrong again. 
Like before, I saw the body standing adjacent to the freeway with an outstretched thumb. It started walking into the road as if it were trying to be hit. I avoided it and continued on completely freaking out. I took a peek into my rearview mirror and I could have sworn it was sitting in my back seat. But as I quickly glanced over my shoulder, it was just an empty seat. My paranoia was somewhat satiated when I saw it again. But it was now holding something in the hand that didn't have its thumb out. As I drove by, I narrowed my eyes to see it closer. It was holding a smiling head. At this point, I, I was close to fainting from fear. I just wanted this horror loop to end, but as the thought crossed my mind, I heard something heavy fall onto the roof of my car. I jumped up in my seat startled by the sound and I looked up. Obviously, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear movement and I could sense the weight lurking above. Regrettably, during all the chaos, I had still forgotten to roll my window up, which I admit was entirely my fault, much to my dismay. I say that because the sound suddenly stopped and I thought it was over, once again, but when I looked to my left, I was met face to face with the severed head. The body was on the roof holding the head into my open window. I yelled and it tossed the head inside and it latched onto my thigh, biting deeply into my muscle. It laughed maniacally, and I nearly crashed trying to deal with both the head and keeping my vehicle on the road. I yelled out in pain and began pounding my fist against the back of the head. Luckily, one of my attacks dislodged it from my leg and I quickly grabbed onto it with my free hand before throwing it out of the window. All at once, the darkness lifted, and I was able to see the head bouncing down the freeway in my mirror, followed by the body it belonged to sliding off my roof only to tumble onto the road. I was breathing so hard I thought I might lose consciousness, and my leg was bleeding pretty badly but I dared not stop. I started to see other vehicles and that's when I finally allowed myself to feel any sort of relief. The event I had experienced shocked my system and I decided I would pull off at the nearest town and get a motel for the rest of the night. When I found one, the lady at the counter said, Your face is so pale, are you okay? I looked deeply into her eyes and said, There was a man, or rather, a, a body on the freeway, without a head. It, it terrorized me and, and nearly killed me. She stared at me for a moment before bursting into laughter. Oh, you young people. You always seem to have the craziest stories. Although, I do seem to remember someone else saying something about a body on the freeway once. My eyes lit up. What did they say? W what happened to them? Well, nothing happened. We called the police, but they found no bodies, nor did they find any evidence of an accident. The person ended up leaving the next morning, and that was that. Huh. I added softly. I got a room for the night and addressed my wound. It wasn't as bad as I originally thought. It must have been the lighting that made it look worse. I stayed until around early morning and then checked out with barely any sleep. Now, I'm telling you to avoid driving down any freeway if you're going to Texas. I mean, I, I can't say for sure what the catalyst is, but... Something to do with my specific trip caused me to experience this horrific anomaly, and I just want to warn everyone I can. 
although the lady at the counter did say someone else experienced something similar. I just don't know, and it's better to be safe than sorry. What's even worse is that when I was about to get into my car to continue driving south, I noticed a fresh handprint pressed firmly against the outside of my driver's window. I guess I'll be sticking to day driving from now on. This story is called Little Girl Found. My name is Callie. I got taken by the man when I was four. I'm 10 now and got out five weeks ago. Everyone keeps asking me if he did anything to me, if he hurt me or touched me. I tell them he tried. Ripley wouldn't let him. He got me when I went to the playground with my sister, Annie. Annie was 13 then, and I thought she was a grown-up. Mommy had made her promise to watch me the whole time. She just kept saying yes, 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 but I knew she wasn't really listening. She talked the same way when I tried to tell her about my day at preschool. When we got to the playground, I ran straight for the slide. I looked back and saw Annie on her phone. I waved and went down. We were there for a while. I played on everything at least a hundred times. After a while, I was tired and wanted to go home. I went back to where Annie was sitting, but she was gone. Two weeks after my escape, Annie, teary-eyed, told me that she had met a boy from school and decided to get a quick ice cream with him. She called herself stupid and selfish. She said she should have known better. Not knowing where she was, I started calling and looking around. I was scared, but mostly mad. I decided that I'd get her back by walking home by myself. I was a big kid. I knew the way. I bravely started my journey home. I did okay for the first block, but I got turned around somewhere and ended up in a neighborhood I'd never been in before. At that point, I was really scared. Where was home? Where were my mommies? I was about to cry when a man came up behind me. I recognized him, sort of. Mommy and mommy used to talk about him when they thought I wasn't around. They called him a, a homosobe or something. I had thought it was a compliment. It sounded like a funny word. He asked me if I had lost my mommy. I said yes, and that I wasn't allowed to talk to strangers. He laughed, and he insisted that he was no stranger. He knew my mommies. He told me that if I came inside his house, he would make me a peanut butter and jelly, and call my mommies. I was tired and hungry, but something didn't feel right. He kept insisting. It was getting colder. All I was wearing was my Spider-Man shirt jeans and my favorite purple jacket and I didn't know what else to do so I agreed and followed him inside the second the front door was closed and locked he picked me up roughly by the waist and threw his hand over my mouth and took me through his house to a huge steel door 
hidden behind a curtain. I was terrified, and I tried escaping while he typed on a keypad. He was too strong. The second he opened the door, I smelled something like... rotting meat. He took his hand away from my mouth to get a better grip on my waist. Then he threw me into the room. The floor was concrete, and I was knocked out. I came to a while later. There was no light source in the room, and I couldn't see. But I could hear and feel fine. I was lying on something soft, like a cat's fur. My head was fuzzy, and I tried to sit up. Something... an arm? Pushed me gently back down. Try not to move. A voice came out of the darkness. It wasn't the man's voice. It was a woman's voice. Not Mommy Jackie or Mommy Lauren, but... But still soft. Still kind. Still comforting. Who are you? A friend. I'm sorry this happened to you. He's kept me here for years, but... I never dreamed. Who is he? I don't know his name, but only a truly evil man would steal a child. What is your name? I'm Callie. I'm four. What a lovely name. I wish I had a name as lovely as that. What is your name? Something too long and complicated for a human tongue. You may call me... Ripley. Okay, Ripley. I'm hungry. Me too. He'll bring food before long. Why are you here? His grandfather found me in a faraway place a long time ago. He kept me prisoner because of my gift. I have been a family secret ever since. What kind of gift? I can see into the future. Not too far. A year at the most. But to a greedy person who likes lottery machines or racing, that's plenty. None of them had to work a day in their lives because of me. They also try to use me to get rid of people they don't like. They think I eat humans. Do you? No. I kept them I kept them as safe as I could for as long as I could. But they were usually hurt or poisoned when they were kidnapped. They were almost always adults and they were afraid of me. They wouldn't let me help them and died. Are you a monster? In a way. Are you feeling any better? A doctor's appointment after my escape proved that I had suffered minor fractures from being thrown into the room. They healed, more or less, during my time there. Ripley never let me simply lay there. As soon as they stopped hurting and just became sore, she made me walk around the room, even do jumping jacks. I didn't see the man very often. The first time when he realized I was still alive, he got a nasty smile and tried to come in. 
Ripley, I couldn't see her due to the light blinding me, wrapped herself around me and told him that if he ever tried to hurt me, she'd kill him. He was scared of her and left right away. A minute later, he came by with a plate of food, a bottle of water, and a bucket. After that, I only saw him when he brought food and replaced the bucket once a day. Ripley never let me look at him. She said he wasn't even worthy of my disdain, whatever that meant. I was scared and sad, but Ripley did everything she could to keep me busy. She told me the plots of Disney movies to come. She sang me every song she'd ever known. She even tried to teach me to read. We gave up on this. It's hard to learn to read when you can't even see your hand in front of your face. I was never happy. But I was never alone. A week before I escaped, Ripley woke me up. For the first time ever, she sounded scared. She had looked ahead and seen the man killing me so that no one would ever suspect him. She told me that the next time he came, I had to sit in the corner of the room, covering my eyes and ears. She didn't tell me what she planned to do. She didn't need to. As he unlocked the door, she whispered in my ear that she loved me. Even with my ears covered, I still heard his screams. I smelled something metallic and was tempted to open my eyes. I didn't, and I sat still for a long time. After a long time, I couldn't hear anything else. I called out for Ripley. No answer. Even though the light stung my eyes, I opened them slowly. Ripley was gone. On the floor, a mangled, bloody mess was the man. I ran, scared, into the house. I ran for the front door, out onto the street, and ran face-first into an old woman walking her dog. I ended up with a lot of health problems as a result of my time there. Malnutrition, slow development, bad eyesight, and a lot of others. I have to wear really thick glasses, take a variety of vitamins and supplements, walk with a limp, and I can't go into direct sunlight without sunscreen and prescription sunglasses. My moms were so happy to see me again. Annie, in college then, came back and held me for an hour, crying and saying that she was so sorry. Mom and Mom are still a little mad at her for what she did, even though I'm not. I think she knows. Even though no one wanted to tell me the full story, I eventually learned that the man was a known homophobe and had been trying to force my family out of the neighborhood because my moms married each other. He kidnapped me, hoping to scare them into moving away. They had suspected him for years, but could never get proof that he had taken me. When my mothers heard that he had been killed by some kind of wild animal, they celebrated. I never saw Ripley again. 
the doctors, officers, and therapists I've told the story to think I imagined Ripley to cope with my situation. What they can't explain, though, are the gigantic, crocodile-like footprints leading from the man's back door to the forest. Or that I knew details about movies that had come out while I was locked up. Or how, my first night home, I looked out of my bedroom window and I saw a monster waving back at me. Thanks for listening, boys and ghouls. I hope you found these stories as creepy as I did. Thank you for checking in to season two of r slash no sleep. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification button so you get updates for the newest daily creepy story. As always, all the authors of these stories will be credited in the description. Feel free to send them some love over on Reddit, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye!